This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. You're listening to Bookmark with me, Uma Pagan Ampke Pagan. Now, on the show today, I'm indulging in a little geekery, so bear with me. Nintendo, the Japanese video game company, recently released their next generation console. It's called the Switch. I bought one, I've been devoting endless hours to playing Zelda, and I'm having a ton of fun. But also, I've been thinking about video games and Nintendo, about Zelda, and about their most famous global export, Mario and the impact that he's had on the world. Okay, Mario is so big that there are more Game Boys out than there are citizens of Mexico. So if you lined up a Game Boy with a citizen of Mexico, you would have extra Game Boys left over. And Game Boy isn't even the biggest selling Nintendo handheld console. That's the DS, which sold even more. Hundreds of millions. Mario is far and away the best-selling video game character. There's no one remotely coming close. That was Jeff Ryan. He is the author of the book Super Mario, How Nintendo Conquered America, and he's here to tell us all about that. Okay, I'm Jeff Ryan, author of Super Mario, How Nintendo Conquered America, and soon Malaysia. So, Jeff, what is your Super Mario story? All of us have one. What's yours? Uh, I first started to play Mario when I was in middle school. That was when the first Super Mario Brothers game came out. And I loved the fact that it was so deep. It wasn't just a game that you played and won and finished the way that you would read a book and then put it back on the shelf. You could keep on playing it. The fact that you had beaten it didn't mean that you had done a personal best. There's always something more to explore. There's another level to find. There's another villain to defeat. You could always be better at it. It was more like dancing almost. Dancing using, you know, two fingers instead of your whole body. But that, I think, is part of the the real joy of playing video games. It's expression. Yeah, there's always another tube you can slide down and find some secret level. Right. People are still finding things in the original Super Mario Brothers that haven't been found yet. So it's an interesting story because Mario is this everyday pudgy plumber. Is he a plumber? He started off as a carpenter, but now he's a plumber. Although he never really does any plumbing. You never see him mounting a toilet seat. And he's nothing quite like the other heroes we see or ever would see in video games, and especially in Japanese video games. I mean, Link had a sword and that fashionable green outfit. Sonic was a rebel, but Mario was just this guy. And that's part of what made Mario Mario, the fact that he was so specific. He's an Italian plumber from Brooklyn wearing a red hat, and he's also wearing overalls. But just because you're not that guy doesn't mean you can't play as him. And no one is really that guy unless you happen to be named Mario and you're wearing a red set of overalls and you live in Brooklyn, New York, in which case you'd probably just change your overalls because you'd be tired of all the jokes. But since Mario doesn't fit into who any of us see when we look in the mirror, we're fine with pretending to be him. And that's somehow everyone in the world is okay pretending to be this guy. He's universal in that way. Which is interesting because it flies in the face of the barrel-chested, muscle-bound superhero that we're so used to. He's not an escapist hero. He's not the person that we dream of being when we're more physically fit and we're fighting aliens all the time. He's, he's more of a parallel person. He's who we are when we're not looking. 
and still gets the girl, still saves the princess, still vanquishes the giant dragon turtle creature. Yes, what is we're King not quite Koopa? sure what he is. Okay. Yeah, sometimes he's a dragon, sometimes he's a turtle. Maybe he's like a, he's like Gamera, the Japanese monster. So, so talk to me about Mario's origins. Give me a history in a nutshell, if you will. Mario started off, believe it or not, as Popeye. Nintendo wanted to make a Popeye video game, but this was the first time they had done a licensed game, and the license rights were taking a while. It was going to take six months to a year. They had designed the game, but they didn't have Popeye to put in. So they decided, well... Without Popeye, we'll just come up with our own characters. So instead of Popeye, they made this guy with a mustache, and they called him Mario eventually. Instead of Bluto, who's this big hulking antagonist for Popeye, they put in Donkey Kong, a giant gorilla. And instead of olive oil, they have a girl named Pauline, who's a tall, pretty princess. But of course, she didn't have a name in the beginning, right? She was just... She was just Lady, the lady? and Mario yeah. was just Jumpman. Donkey Kong had a name, but the other... Two didn't. And when they sent the game from Japan to America, the uh, American business guys decided we should give these guys names. Jumpman isn't going to sell in uh, in this market. So they happened to be not paying their rent when they were they were in the Seattle area. And their landlord came and yelled at them, and he made a jumped up and down once or twice. His name was Mario, and he had a mustache just like Jumpman. So they decided let's name let's name Jumpman after uh, Mario who just yelled at us <laughs> fantastic maybe as a way to save the rent for a month but of course Miyamoto had bigger plans with Jumpman he had I guess he had this story that he wanted to tell he wanted a, an everyman character and he was going to put this everyman character in a whole series of games and that's why he was called Jumpman because there's nothing there's nothing to hold on to with Jumpman other than the fact that he can jump which doesn't mean much but once they gave him a specific set of skills where he was a carpenter and he Mario with that outfit then Miyamoto decided well I'm I'll just keep telling my everyman stories but with this very specific person and it worked it worked really well people for some reason loved Mario in a way that you wouldn't expect if you sat down and decided, I'm going to make the world's greatest character. You wouldn't decide, well, he's going to be a plumber and he's never going to do any plumbing. And he's going to be a overweight middle-aged man because that's who all of us want to be when we grow up. Because Mario goes beyond, I mean, Mario has endured far beyond Sonic the Hedgehog, beyond Donkey Kong, beyond Link. And it isn't just because he's been in more games and constantly been there it's something about this character that seems to appeal so what the hell is it about mario that works so well to you out there and to me over here part of it is the mickey mouse appeal if you try to figure out why mickey mouse is so popular your your mind kind of falls apart because he's a mouse they're kind of cute but at the same time they're pests you do things to get rid of mice in your house you don't invite them in yet mickey mouse is the most popular person in the world disney has used him as a signature if you see mickey mouse then you know oh this is disney approved this is going to be better than average nintendo did the exact same thing so when you see Mario, that's Nintendo's seal of approval of sorts. You're not just going to play a racing game. You're going to be playing Mario Kart, which means that it's going to be fun. You're not just going to play a board game. You're going to play Mario Party, which means that the mini games are going to be especially devilish. So what is it about these 8-bit games in particular that continue to have it endure? It feels like 
It feels like video games these days are so fleeting, and yet Mario isn't. The 8-bit games were, were done at, I think, the the sweet spot of creativity and graphics. If you look at them now, they're they're almost absurd that there's so little that you can show. But at the same time, there's enough for you to have three or four characters for each sprite. Sprites are the names of the little characters that move around. And you're able to show somewhat realistic backgrounds. It's all very cartoony, but you get the idea. And as games progress since then to 16-bit and 32-bit and all that and to where we are now, the graphics have obviously gotten better and the physics have gotten better. But the gameplay is often the same. It's either first person or third person. You didn't have that back then because neither one of those modes were particularly fun. You needed to invent ways of playing and things to do that were inherently fun. And you don't do that in games nowadays. You don't do that in games nowadays, but also I think what's interesting is there is this overwhelming sense of nostalgia to these games. And I'm not sure how much of a role that plays in having us still be excited by it. I mean, people are downloading emulators for their iPhones and Android phones and whatever. Right. And you see kids who are 10 years old walking around in 8-bit Mario t-shirts and like, you weren't alive when that was around. You can't have fond memories of that. You're just making your fond memories now of something that's 30 years old. Your Mario doesn't look anything like that. Right. But I guess people of my and your generation felt the same way watching Looney Tunes and and Bugs Bunny cartoons, those were 30 years old, but we held on to them like they were they were our own instead of our parents' generation. The one interview I had with Shigeru Miyamoto, I ran out of tape. It was an hour-long interview, and I ran out five minutes in. Oh, no. Yeah, so, so when I got back to the office, I started to listen to it, and after five minutes to stop, I was like, oh, no. So I looked at my notes and I tried to transcribe all the answers he had. And I was just trying to like, like after the fact, memorize everything he had said. So I still have all of those answers like burned into my head because I didn't want to forget any of them. I forgot my questions, but I know his answers. So Mario as an artistic creation still feels so essential to Nintendo as a company. It seems like... The best-selling games and the best-selling consoles are always bundled in with Mario. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? It is somewhat of a limiting factor because people have complained in recent years that Nintendo has been putting out too many Mario games. And they don't mean too many side-scrollers. They mean just too many games in general with Mario's face on them. But Mario Maker is a video game maker. Mario Kart is a driving game. Mario Party is a tabletop game. These are all different genres, but they put Mario on all of them. So they're all the Mario genre as well. And if they had branched out, if they had... If they had Link for everything or Zelda for everything, then they would have more more opportunities to to branch out into different subgenres. But since they're not doing that, they're they're stuck with Mario. They're kind of like in golden handcuffs with him, where they do really well, but there there's a limit to how well they can do. There's only so much market saturation, so many SKUs before you get overloaded with Mario. So I think one of the biggest criticisms about Nintendo as a company is just that, in that they always seem like they're late to the party. That and they define themselves very strictly as a video game company. What worked for them 30 years ago was making hardware 
and then you'd buy the hardware and you'd spend a lot of money for software and you could play your Mario game. They're still doing that now, even though the world is very different. If Apple did the same thing, they would only be making laptops. They wouldn't be in the Apple store. There wouldn't be the iPad or the iPod. All of the things that have made Apple the biggest company of the 21st century wouldn't exist because Apple was able to change its mindset. And Nintendo has strenuously refused to do that. And it's hurt them. Oh, yeah, it's definitely hurt them. I, I have a joke that Nintendo is in two businesses. One is making video games and two is leaving money on the table. There's so much stuff they could do with Mario. Think of how you've, you see minions everywhere. You don't see Mario everywhere in the same extent. And the minions didn't exist five years ago. So that was a totally manufactured phenomenon. And Mario could be that times 10. Nintendo doesn't want that. They still want to be a video game company, but all of the other video game companies in the world have become media companies, have become information technology clearinghouses, and Nintendo doesn't want to do that. They're still holding on to their almost 19th century beliefs about what a company should be. Well, leave money on the table and break our hearts as well, because I think for us fans, we're all secretly rooting for them. Right. And I'm part of me was really hoping that someone like Disney would come along and buy Nintendo. And what what you've seen happen with Star Wars over the last couple of years would happen where they'd announce we're making a whole bunch of things that the fans want. And it's not something that the original people, a.k.a. George Lucas, would do. But we're going to do it in a way that's almost better because there are limitations to even a George Lucas. And Nintendo doesn't have that. It hasn't happened yet. And they signed a deal recently with Universal to bring some Mario characters to a Universal theme park, which is fantastic. It's something they should have done 15, 20 years ago. But that is the final nail in the coffin of the rumor that Disney may buy Nintendo, because they wouldn't buy Nintendo if they couldn't bring Nintendo into their theme parks. So actually, I, I've got to talk to you about that massive pop culture misstep that was the Super Mario movie. Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> let's go it. Let's right. do it. Let's do it. Super Mario Brothers, it's this movie that I keep re-watching in the hope that it might get better, like in a so bad it's good kind of way. I do it with Howard the Duck as well, and they're both just as awful. It's just confusing. You're trying to figure out how this exists. Exactly. Not if it makes sense. Why did that happen? How did that happen? How it happened was there were three different people involved in making the movie, and they wanted to make three different types of movies. There was one group who wanted to basically make a Ghostbusters, a big-budget action comedy for the family. And you can see that when you watch the Super Mario movie. There was another group who wanted to basically make Blade Runner, a dark, dystopian sci-fi movie that was rated R. And you can see that when you're watching the movie also. And there was a third group who wanted to just take the Super Mario video game and translate it onto the screen, which had never been done before. And you can see that as well. The problem is those are three different stories going on. And as they were trying to film all three at the same time, they didn't do service to any one of them. They also substantially <laughs> ran out of money. They went overboard and they 
couldn't film their original ending, which sounded cool. Do you know what the original ending was? No, what was the original ending? The original ending was Dennis Hopper's character, King Koopa, was going to transform into a giant Tyrannosaurus Rex and go crazy throughout Dino Haddon and then go through a portal and go crazy through Manhattan and then he would be killed on the Brooklyn Bridge. Now, that sounds fantastic. That sounds pretty cool. That's the ultimate boss fight. Yes, that is the ultimate boss fight. And that would have been part of the video game school of things. But they ran out of money, so they had him go into a box and threaten to transform, and then they somehow stopped him. And all you saw was a box rattling around, because I guess that was that was all the budget they had left. Like, oh, we can't afford to send a dino rampaging through Manhattan. We can build a box, though, and we'll just shake the box. And I suppose that's the worst possible thing for Nintendo because they're like, hey, we tried this new thing. It was this complete and miserable failure. Movies are not for us. Right. It's exactly like the the person in middle school that goes on a bad date and then says, you know what? I'm never going out with anyone ever again, ever. And you think like, well, okay, let's give it six months. You're going to meet someone else and you'll, you'll be going out again. But then you meet up with them 25 years later and they've never gone out with anyone else again. It's like, dude, it was just one bad date. Get back on the horse. Do it again. What do you think is in store for Nintendo? Because as a company, I mean, in your book, you were rather optimistic about Nintendo. But over the last few years, they haven't been doing too great. No, their their big problem is they have a lot of new stockholders. And what the stockholders want is for Nintendo to start making apps, which sounds like a great cure-all because everyone is playing games on their apps or on their iPhones. The problem is people are spending $1 for an app or 50p in England, and they're not spending the uh, the resources to make really really good apps and that's what nintendo does well nintendo is almost like a niche company in that it has a premium product that it charges premium prices for and when you try to go into the app world where you're selling things for free or for the the smallest possible charge you can make then you're in the lowest common denominator club nintendo doesn't want to do that They also don't want to give people the ability to play Mario games without first buying Nintendo hardware. So the Nintendo brass have been holding the line saying, no, we can't let you buy apps, buy Nintendo apps. The problem with that is that their stock price is going down and down and down. This is normally when a company would go private. If they're going to make a lot of unpopular decisions, then their stock wouldn't suffer. But Nintendo can't do that because their stock has been around for too long. So they keep on acting like a private company and getting hammered for it. That was author Jeff Ryan. Go check out his book. It's called Super Mario, How Nintendo Conquered America. I highly recommend it. Even if you're not a video gamer, it's still an incredibly compelling read. This has been Bookmark. I'm Uma Paganampike. Pagan on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to BFM.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.